0: To get the traffic that you desire, your content can't just be good, it has to be excellent. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we care a lot about content optimization. podcast, Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, welcome back. How are you today? Good. How are you, Leo? Grace, I'm doing good. Um, This week, you know, I told you we're participating at Great Legal Marketing, which is taking place right now as we speak somewhere in, um, I think, DC or uh, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, We were there present actually last year and it was a lot of fun. And so I'm really glad that we got a chance to participate, even if it's just virtually, right? Just like you've been doing also in some other conferences. Sometimes that's the way uh, to go. It's the way we
1: have to go right now. At least until the near future.
0: It is, it is, Grace, but you know, we've talked about it before and it's always great to be able to support these organizations and lawyers who actually still take the time and make an effort to continue keeping themselves up to date on marketing trends and opportunities. All right, but with that aside, Grace, let's introduce our guest for today, right? Because we're welcoming back a friend to In Camera Podcast. So why don't you do the honors?
1: So I was lucky enough to get him back on here. And I am extremely thrilled to welcome back Ryan Klein for a conversation on legal content marketing. As you may recall, Ryan is one of the managing partners at Market My Market, which is an agency that helps law firms build and implement effective digital marketing strategies. Ryan is known for his technical expertise in SEO and consistently being up to speed with programming and automation and particularly on websites. You can learn more about Ryan and Market My Market by visiting MarketMyMarket.com. And he also has a podcast to listen in, guys. That's LegalMastermindPodcast.com. Again, that's LegalMastermindPodcast.com. Ryan, thank you so much for joining
0: us today.
2: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the fantastic intro. I do appreciate that. And it's good to see you again, uh, Leo.
0: It's always a pleasure to welcome you back, Ryan. So tell us a little bit what you've been up to these past few months, where this podcast finds you this time. <laughs>
2: Well, it's been an interesting past few months. Uh, last time we spoke, I think it might have been just before code got rolling. So we didn't have we were a already in the world, into it, I guess. but
0: yeah, but it was still we, we, we hadn't yet seen uh, mm-hmm. the summer spike if you may. So right. we, we were still very early stages.
2: Yeah, yep. And so um yeah, it hadn't really you know we we're starting to think about it and of course it kind of got us thinking about, you know, this is going to start affecting other industries and all that and it wasn't really to the point where it's like changing the way we do our marketing, our content, and, and helping out clients. So, our law firms. But man, that happened quick. But yeah, the past few months, I was out in Seattle when we last spoke, New Jersey, collecting my thoughts the past couple of months. And I'm actually in uh, beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina now, see what's going on. So, uh, a
0: lot oh, of big changes. Wonderful.
2: You've yeah. been moving around quite a bit. I have. It's been a nomad lifestyle. That's really, <laughs> really what I signed up for. Uh, so.
0: Well, that's great. And thank you very much again for being uh, back and joining us for this conversation. So, Ryan, I know we're going to be talking about content marketing, right? And, you know, why don't we start by just setting the scene a little bit here? What is the most common errors and mistakes or missed opportunities that you see law firms make about content marketing in their websites?
2: Sure. I think that the the biggest thing, and this is comes up when we're auditing current clients and just kind of seeing what the the lay of the land is as far as legal websites in different markets, is that there's kind of just this general idea of just writing content for the sake of writing content. So it's just like, well, I'm going to look at my competition. They have an about us in contact, so I need that. They have general practice area pages. I need those. And then the blogs kind of answer kind of generic things. So. I think that the biggest gap I see a lot of times with content strategy with law firms is kind of just not really just thinking beyond what's really generic um, when it comes to really what the what the content plan should be. Um, you know, people have been writing the same blogs for decades at this point. You know, you look at the PI space. What do I do after a car accident? It's like, why is this blog going to be any different from others? It's 20,000 of these blogs out there. Criminal defense. What do I do after I'm arrested? So it's just so just generic and just really uninspired and I think that just more effort has to be put into it and there's just a lot of ways to do that because people's you know the way that people search and the way people frame their questions evolves constantly so why shouldn't content strategies
0: yeah I actually like the word you use there uninspiring because it's really a good description of what the content feels it feels generic, it feels personal, and it feels that it exists just for the sake of picking a box out of a checklist kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. So I totally see where you're coming from. Uh,
1: to add to that, Liel and, and Ryan, you're 100% right. Uninspired is is a perfect word um, because we, we are constantly on our podcast before now um, telling people to tell their story, right? Because it's about you. And I... what am i going to do go online and read another car accident blog post or am i going to go online and actually read about your story and what you talk about and why you are the best attorney for me for my car accident not necessarily about the car accidents and how to deal with a car accident right i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that's kind of how i've always viewed it as a user
2: yeah. And then, you know, we're all always all about answering questions. And I think that I don't want to contradict anything I'll say later. Like answering questions is is one of the, the best opportunities you also have on your website, especially in, in the form of your blog or maybe like a long, long form article. So I'm not going to ever like dissuade anyone from answering the questions that people have. But if there's just it's been answered so many different ways, like what are other ways you can approach it? What are you know, maybe doing a little bit more research or finding other resources that will maybe have a variation or a different take or a different angle on some of these blogs that have been done so many times is is worthwhile when creating new content
1: so that makes sense so if you maybe it doesn't this this part doesn't but if you had to create i guess a content marketing checklist for a law firm website what would be the kind of the first three items on that list in your mind
2: so as far as like setting up a a new website or just kind of auditing your existing website
0: that well, could why, be included. Yeah. I mean. Well, it, or why don't we create two? Yeah. One for those who don't have a website yet and one for those who already actually have it.
2: They, they may they may overlap, but there are a couple of things that I think have, have has uh, changed really like in the past year, especially with like during COVID. And this is going to be a co- another COVID podcast, but people's <laughs> behaviors have, have changed and people are spending more time researching lawyers and doing their due diligence to see if the right professional is out there for them. But um, when it comes to like the homepage, a lot of people, you know, have set up their homepage to kind of just, you know, talk about them. So it's been a lot of, you know, here are our verdicts and settlements. Here, are, like, our case results. Like us, us, we're the biggest. We're the best kind of deal. And uh, it's a, a lot uh, more success I've seen, um, really, in the past like year, being more like the story storyboarding approach, where it's more like, well, let's not focus about the law from how great they are. Let's focus on on the person, and let's uh, create the journey. And then talk about how the law firm is actually just a part of the journey um, that's going to help them get where they need to be if they were to retain them so like the homepage kind of angle i would add that to the checklist of taking a completely different approach to more storytelling um, i've seen through you know behavior and people going how they navigate through a website uh, about us and attorney bios get a lot more eyes than they used to so sometimes people kind of overlook like let's just do a paragraph and just talk about where they graduated maybe a couple publications speaking engagements and that's it it's like no people want to like they're going to read about this lawyer they want to know what makes you special what's what makes you stand out so really spending more time on bios is, is important about us maybe even including you know the firm philosophy what are your values what you know what do you take pride in so you know definitely delivering more time and more effort on those types of pages um of course in the blog is a separate conversation there and then um dedicating sometimes dedicating page to maybe like the the testimonials and and reviews or however people speak about you um people tend to include a few on on a website but i think that if you really have a lot rolling it's good to kind of go out other places and bring them in into you know one one page kind of aggregate you know all the positivity that's out there for you in one place that it can be seen. So those are probably a few things I would definitely include.
1: So I don't know if you would consider that new content or old content, but what would you say if we're looking at new and old, right? Because content is, there's so much, there are the older firms that have been around for a while, like you said, and they have had all these blog posts and have had these questionnaires answered forever, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say could be the advantages or disadvantages or are there of only posting new content and not potentially optimizing existing content?
2: I mean, the benefit of posting new content, there's always going to be the, the benefit of you know keeping the website fresh, being able to keep up on trending topics, mostly in the form of a blog. You know, the blog is really kind of your your foundation of of really keeping up with what's trending. If you're taking you're talking about your your typical pages, you'll you'll probably find yourself in a situation where you're like, I don't really have to add more. Pages or practice areas or ge- geographical pages, or you might have like kind of a limit there. Um, but the blog is, you know, always a good opportunity to have something fresh. But as far as existing content, I mean, that's that's a great way to kind of transition to just a huge opportunity from a content standpoint. I think that a, a lot of law firm websites completely completely neglect the fact that they've created content that might be five eight, who even 10 years old, and it just hasn't been touched, hasn't been updated. It might be following the best practices and standards for content, which was a decade ago, which is like nothing compared to what it is nowadays. So I don't know how long it is that most law firms that claim to be proactive with their marketing or content marketing, um, how often they think it's appropriate to do kind of what are maybe considered content refreshes or kind of auditing their existing content. That's probably something that should be done like probably no less than annually. Some some people are more proactive, it's probably biannually. annually um, And the benefits is just like keeping up with what Google is looking for and consumers are looking for. And uh, that can be a whole thing that we get into now, whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> uh,
0: and that, I think that's exactly what's coming next. But before we get into best practices for optimizing existing content, Ryan, uh, you've mentioned something there that... I, you know, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. You've said that people are researching more, right? And you've also hinted to that as a way as, you know, since COVID began, we are seeing that search may have retained its search volumes that it had before, or people are searching more, right? Depending on the practice area, maybe even the market. What makes you, or what have you seen in terms of data that leads you to believe that people are actually researching more before they actually convert. What are the signals that you are noticing in user behavior?
2: So I, I only have one core uh, piece of evidence there, and it's that I pretty consistently do surveying um, out, out to like the public. So I'll conduct surveys via what's called Mechanical Turk. It's an Amazon uh, program. It's kind of like um it's not SurveyMonkey. there's There's like other survey platforms yeah. out there. But it's sure. basically just getting a sample of probably like 500 people and then kind of narrowing it down by criteria, such as, you know, have you been looking for professional service in the past, you know, six months and kind of asking a couple criteria. The people that meet the criteria will participate in the survey and then I'll, I'll ask them a series of questions. So, um, yeah, I, I try not to do anything that's speculative because I know that it's really easy <laughs> for people to put out data that's just like, this makes sense. So, this is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. that is not what we're trying to do um at least with my team so it'll basically be be being surveys and asking questions such as you know have you needed a professional service in the past six months um what was the average amount of time that you spent what websites did you go to how long did you spend on each website what were you looking for so it's like really trying to draw like actual data before you know going out and being like well this is what it is and let's adjust accordingly you know, I want to want to have that kind of data so um as far as maybe like behavior on website, you know, we can look at analytics, and you can see maybe in some situations where the time on site um, or the pages visited um, might fluctuate uh, depending on what the topic is, and then maybe you can get some interesting data from that. Um, but yeah, as far as like surveying, especially in anticipation of something that's kind of really starting to happen, so you don't maybe have the data just yet, you know, via your website. Um, that's you know what I have to go off of, I guess, for this particular. Your situation.
0: Right. And I think that, uh, Grace kind of like. Ties very well with some of the conversations that we've had here before, where we've gone into deep dives of search volume analysis of practice areas across different markets, right? And what we are noticing is that many of these markets have actually had an increase in search volume compared to the previous year or previous two years. But we know, for instance, in the area of personal injury, that there have been less motor vehicle accidents, at least until we have un- until the point that we have records of 2020. This year than they have been in previous years but how do we justify that there's been more search on this particular kind of accidents in some markets despite also seeing that there's been less actual accidents themselves well it can also be because people are researching more right they're spending more time completing different kinds of search queries trying to identify what are their options looking different brands and trying to uh, make up their decision so that could be one of the reasons. And I appreciate Ryan sharing with us a little bit of the insights that you've guys seen through the uh, service that you've conducted. That's actually great. Right. So let's go back now into optimizing content, because it is 100% possible, particularly for law firms that have been around for quite some time, just like Grace said, you know, they have their website for 10 years up. They've had created content that's been sitting there for years. And, uh, and as uh, it has been said now, it's probably been untouched also for years. So what are the first steps that someone should take about deciding what content is worth optimizing, what content is not worth optimizing? And then when they've decided which needs to be optimized, what are some of the things that we need to look at, keep into, keep into consideration?
2: Yeah, I mean, that that's a great question. I mean, it's the what is worth, because it's, it's like if we have unlimited resources, we'd just be like, well, why not just do everything? But, you know, we, we don't and like the time to go in it into it and get content writers, it can it can add up. So, yeah, you want to be a little bit precise about which pages you're focusing on instead of it just being like, oh, let's just do everything, because you, know, you might even discover when you go through it and uh, pages get buried over time when you have multiple people working on a website and posting random places and then maybe you don't have an updated sitemap. You go through the website and you're just like, oh man, we haven't even practiced that in five years. <laughs> so it's like, this attorney hasn't worked here in eight years. So like, I mean, those things could, could happen. Yeah. And so probably just doing some sort of like general audit of like what your website is even at, at this time, because these websites turn into monsters, especially when you get like, Agency that worked from two thousand twelve to two thousand fifteen, and then this consultant. So, um, really, knowing Brian, what's worth. Can
0: we stop there just for one, yeah. one second? And for some, you know, listeners that may have not yet had a general audit performed on their website over the past few years, you know, they probably have a web developer that maintains the website. You know, just make sure that plugins get updated and there are no major errors. Like things are just running. What would be the difference between that? You know, just having someone who's maintaining your website and then doing an actual audit. What are the kind of things that you would identify on a general audit that don't come up on the monthly maintenance report that you get from your web developer? Sure.
2: So, you know, a webmaster is, you know, responsible for the website being functional, operational, obviously having up uptime. Uh, on the other side, you know, if someone's more, you know, adept with like different aspects of SEO they'll be looking a little bit more at how the website's getting crawled. Um, so if Google and other search engines are appropriately crawling the website and all its pages on you know an appropriate periodic basis, if it's getting indexed well, so if your website has a thousand pages um, and then you do the search, like in Google Search Console, you know, great webmaster tool, but used by SEOs all the time, it's like, yeah, you do have a thousand pages indexed. Um, making sure that there aren't Um, you know, missing pages, broken pages, you know, your common 404 errors. So, you know, some of those things kind of overlap, like a webmaster, they wouldn't be doing the best job if they allowed you to have broken pages, but at the same time, an SEO is going to have possibly tools and be doing um, more uh, work to kind of identify and expose these things on a regular basis.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Excellent. So now that you've determined Basically, what, is, what are the kind of insights that you would get out of an audit? Let's go back to analyze. When should you just prioritize a particular type of content and optimize that one?
2: Yeah. So I can probably think about that in, in steps. So, you know, we were talking about like the first steps. What, what's worth actually looking into? So, you know, you do the first run. Maybe you have a sitemap. You're like, these pages are outdated completely and then it's maybe either webmaster or seo just eliminating pages because they're probably essentially worthless if you want to remove them. So and then at that point I think that it's kind of taking a look at the pages that you do have and you're like, "Well, we wrote about, you know, these these practice areas, you know, we we wanted to get cases from this. Like I wrote this page for a reason. It, was, it would have been, you know, great for the law firm if we actually generating some qualified traffic from this and we really haven't so kind of like grouping together a bunch of pages that you know the law firm put effort into creating and maybe looking on analytics you know google analytics maybe using like a keyword tool to kind of see where it's at so it's like i created we created these pages we spent time on them um and nothing's happening so we're using a tool whether it be um, analytics to see if it gets traffic and it's just not converting or if it's not getting any traffic, maybe using a tool, we use a uh, CERTBook, uh, I think now it's keyword.com, whatever keyword tool you like using and just identifying where it, where it's at. Um, you could use that or Google search console, and then you start to get an idea of, okay, the reason that this doesn't get any traffic and I haven't gotten leads from this is because it's just not anywhere to be seen. It's just like on the fifth page and that's where it's always been. So that's when you start to get an idea of, you know, your pages I don't want, that's fine. Let's remove them. But here are the ones I I did want to get leads from. I do want traffic here. And what are the reasons is getting held back. and, And then you can start to kind of come up with a optimization plan.
0: So I'm hearing here a lot of things. One of them is that having more pages on your website doesn't necessarily mean having a better website, right? Absolutely. If they're not bringing in traffic, then there might as well not exist. Or as you've said, if you ident- if those are critical pages, whether they're practice areas, whether they're of particular areas of interest to you that you would hope or you want people to see because you know they have the potential of getting you business, then those are the pages that you'd want to optimize right, and improve so that they can actually start generating traffic. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move out of this topic, one of the things that I've seen a lot in law firm websites is duplicate content, mm-hmm. right? And it it's surprising but most of the times when we bring this to the attention of law firms, they're kind of like I didn't know, you know, I didn't have no idea that it, there's such a thing as duplicate content, common content, unique content. Um, And for those who are listening to this podcast and are hearing these terms for the first time, Ryan, can you explain a little bit, duplicate content? Why is it a bad thing? What do you do when you have this kind of situation?
2: Yeah, I I think it's it's definitely worth mentioning because it happens on every single website. It's just yeah. one way or well, it another. There's going to be there. Like some, whoever's listening you know right at this moment, they're like no, not me. Yes, you probably. It's probably 99% chance. And it's not the whole website by any means, but definitely it just happens with se- several pages. So, um, there's two times that it happens. Well, that you know, I can think of right now, there's one where you, you know, proactively did lift content from another website and place on your website with that being like, "Oh, that the, this website wrote it exactly how I would have wrote it. So like, I'll just take it. All right. So um, we'll talk about why you don't do that, I guess, after. But that's one way it happens. And the second is that you actually you know, are writing a lot of great content. And then another lawyer, or website thinks the same thing and actually takes it from your website because you know, duplicate con- content comes up the same way, regardless if you took it or someone took it from you. Um, and as far as, you know, like. Okay the implications or, you know, the negative effects of, of doing it, uh, duplicated content that didn't originate from your website just has absolute, absolutely no value. Like Google already knows who the original author is. It's already been indexed. So once, you know, Google like sees it again, it's just like, oh, this is already over there. This, web's, web, this page has no value. Um, as far as like the negative effects, I, you know, it could if it's happening it's rampant on your website, I don't see this, how there's Anyway, it's not negatively impacting your website. If your website is just continuously having uh, duplicate content, um, as far as what to do in this situation, if, if you're doing it yourself, I mean, stop doing it. If you're, you have a habit of, you know, kind of rewriting existing content, probably have to get better at writing it at a degree of, you know, uniqueness. Um, and then, uh, in other situations. I'm not a lawyer myself and I can't advise on this part, but a uh, cease and desist seem to be the, the solution in a lot of situations.
0: Thanks for giving us a little bit here of context and ideas about what duplicate content may represent and why it's important, right, to have this awareness. I guess particularly when you're actually hiring someone to do content writing for you or you're just commissioned a new website and it has been handed to you or you're at the stage of uh, reviewing the content that's been written for the website. There are tools that can help you identify whether this content is unique or not. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a good and important exercise uh, that can be done. And I guess it's fair to say here that all the three of us here encourage it. Now, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, let's move on into another question that it's also within this same kind of like idea and in, in notion of optimizing content. How about? Updates, which is a little bit different. Updates is because maybe the article is a year old, but there has been new, some new developments, new laws, new information that it's relevant and you want to put out there. Can you differentiate between you're just, you know, you're doing an actual optimization or when you're actually just adding up an update to an existing piece of content? Sure.
2: Um, a, lot, a lot of times with like the updates, it could be, you know, it's, it's a piece of uh, legislature or like a law that's like really like evolving. And it's like, you know, it has like a lot of things that are going on or it's been debated. You know, updates would be great. I think that updates are even like uh, almost a form of optimization because you're kind of kind of indirectly adding more content, adding more keywords and, and kind of just like solidify find what you're talking about. So it's almost like doing a form of optimization kind of passively. Uh, and it's not too common that I find myself being in a situation where we're constantly updating uh, content unless it's really more from an optimization standpoint. So I think that's one thing that we almost, I don't say want to say avoid, but it's not something we're going to dive headfirst into is like something that's, it's, you want to do something that's trending, which is, which is great. And it's, and it's like a situation where it can be updated, but not to the point where if you don't update it, you're le- legally inaccurate with what you're kind of putting out there. So you know if there's like a balance there, not to kind of set yourself in a situation you're exposed to actually providing inaccurate information. If that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does, and. With that, Ryan, I guess I want to talk about, because a lot of what we're focusing right here is written content, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, your articles, your blog posts, your practice area pages, your about us and all that good stuff. Now, how does video add value to a content strategy on a website?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think video is great from an engagement standpoint. It's outstanding. So if you have a, a great page, the situation that will typically present to a lawyer and I don't want I have too many thoughts going on at once because now I'm thinking about how do you get a lawyer to even set aside the time to do the video? You know, we all deal with that situation, but if they do, it's definitely one of those situations where you, you have a great page of content that's getting a lot of traffic and maybe engagement is like a little bit on the lower end video is fantastic for, for engagement. I think that people love having different mediums for absorbing information and some people are fine with text, and some people hate it and uh, they click right to the video. And, um and I love videos as much as the, the law firm is able to dedicate the time to providing them so it's it's great for repurposing um it's great for just you know being indexed in YouTube it's just it's just a, a great useful form of content it can be used a lot of different ways and has a lot of different benefits but it is contingent typically on the time of a lawyer being able to do it
0: Okay, so we've defined that having video on your website is a great asset, right? And of course, you say that potentially the first challenge that needs to be overcome is creating the time and the effort and put the effort into creating the actual video content. So let's suppose that that's already in place. What are some best practices about integrating video to your website? What are some of the things that people should 100% be keeping in mind and saying, it's not just about throwing in the video in there, uh, you know, should you host it on your own website? Should you link to it from a different source? Let's talk a little bit about that. That's that's interesting you're saying that.
2: I I literally just had a conversation with with a a lawyer during the discovery call just an hour ago about one of the biggest cons that he found with embedding a YouTube video and why the possibility of people really truly trying to consider hosting it
0: themselves and maybe not just embedding players let me guess, Yeah, was it, was it that it, it will then suggest videos from other sources? You, you
2: 100% got it. That yeah. is exactly the conversation. <laughs> he was terrified of what was autoplaying. Autoplay. Yeah. Completely irrelevant competition. And then, you know, the average visitor website probably doesn't look at it like, oh, you know, it's just a YouTube embed. They're just like, why is this guy playing these weird videos all of a sudden? And that is going to turn the tide, in my opinion away from potentially using third-party embeds. So do you use them or not? I don't know. I don't think so anymore. The verdict's still out for me. I mean,
1: this is um, is new to me, you know? I have something to say about that. I actually, and I think they took away this feature. However, YouTube used to let you, if you knew the custom code for it, loop playback Mm. and not allow anything else to show up. So I have a had a way around it and I haven't updated the code since, but it would loop back and not play anybody else's video except for what's inside of my channel. So there's a channel parameter that you can create in the script, just so you guys know.
2: If, if that's the case, I'm on board. <laughs> but if people aren't going to use any of those features, I don't, I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> right,
1: do it on your own, right? Because yeah. I I completely agree with you. That's that could be. I mean, all of a sudden you have not just competition, but what about something completely off brand? I mean, really
2: or, bad. Or, or it's something just a, it's technically opinionated or political. Who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. But but uh, Ryan, so let's suppose that someone is here on the fence. Right, yeah. says mm, you know. Okay, so they may see some other content that may not necessarily be mine. but are there any specific SEO advantages to having the web, the video linked from YouTube and not another source or hosted natively on the website?
2: I, I think at the end of the day, since it's an embed and it's technically pulling in something that isn't a part of your website, I can't technically imagine that there's an SEO benefit because it's just not technically a part of your website. And I, if you were to find an arrangement where you did host the video, I think that you have a little bit more control over how you can kind of optimize some of some of the aspects of that kind of asset. Um, it, it, like for one example, there is a, a, a sitemap that's dedicated to videos. So if you were to do a sitemap, you know, not to get too technical with all this, but it's just easy for, you know, search engines to know what assets you have on your website. So it's very common to have a sitemap just for pages and website and a sitemap just for posts. Uh, but a lot of a lot of people that I believe that are doing high level SEO, oftentimes do have sitemaps specifically for their videos. And I would imagine that there's a, a reason for that. And I believe that uh, Google Search Console also acknowledges specifically video sitemaps for submission.
0: Great. Excellent. So let's now not to confuse too much listeners who do have videos on YouTube or not, right? It depends. There is no certain rule here that's going to say, you know, you're losing visitors because of your YouTube embedded video or because you're actually hosting it natively, right? So there's not necessarily a direct impact to doing it either way.
2: The, the biggest thing I could think of is really load time. So sometimes with third-party scripts, if it drags down the load time and it takes longer for a website to load because of these scripts, that that could lead to not only a, a poor uh, visitor experience, but potentially SEO. So if it came down to maybe load time, that'd be something to consider.
0: Before we move out of uh, videos, let's just talk a little bit about then, okay, you've decided that you don't want to embed your videos from YouTube or Vimeo or you are doing Vimeo and not YouTube because of the same reason of what Grace said, because you can actually control more the user experience and what they see, what they don't see, which, by the way, I don't, we didn't mention it, but you can actually do that with a paid membership to Vimeo, right? All, all of those things, yeah. just control. Articles to actions to your video if you want as well, define what happens at the end of the video and, and, and those things. Now, is there value disregarding that to actually post your videos on YouTube and actually have links on the YouTube video information going back to your website?
2: Yeah, I, I, I always advise something like that. Um, okay. If you're going to be spending the time on YouTube, you'd still want to do whatever options that they have for optimization on YouTube. Um, I believe that YouTube... You know, would be still considered the second most used search engine in the world, or if not, if not the world, that'd be the country. I'm not going to say that. And uh, I know any law firms that get a ton of leads from those kinds of searches. I'm not sure if people are technically always searching for their questions on YouTube, but uh, there's plenty of opportunities to optimize for, you know, the title description tags are very, very easy and it gets a lot of views and it's, and it's great for branding. And as far as linking back, sure. you I mean, you, you can, hyperlink to whatever you want you can send them back to a, the dedicated page or a contact page you know really anywhere that you want and i'm not going to say that you can carry a whole backlinking strategy from a youtube channel <laughs> or course. anything but you know referring domain is a referring domain and uh, yeah. there's nothing but i don't see why there would be anything but just a positive impact
0: Good. I appreciate that. And I, I agree with you. I think video is a very, very powerful uh, way of messaging, right? And I, it's not uncommon now for people to prefer watching a video than reading over a thousand or a thousand five hundred words right. in an article. So I definitely think that's that's great. Um, I guess last last question on that. What What do you think about creating a transcript of the video and actually having it there? in the page yeah. as the article itself.
2: Yeah, all about it. Absolutely transcription. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, transcript. It's, a, it's efficient. Yeah, it's it's easy. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of platforms out there that make it so easy. You're not going on to like a Facebook marketplace or group and being like, can someone like listen to this audio and transcribe it? There's there's so many platforms out there and it's not very expensive. Um, there are a lot of options. So there's no reason yeah. not
0: to. So, I th- and I think, Grace, because we've talked about content marketing before and we've said that, right? Just be efficient. Script out your video, right. record it, put it on your video on your website in whichever way you prefer and the one that is more suitable for the setup that you have, and then transcribe it. And there you go, you have your article and you have your video, and it's was all done. You know, so a small in, note in one same Zoom act, yeah. Pro has an automatic
1: transcription feature built in.
2: There you go. Oh, is Zoom it pretty Pro. accurate.
1: It's it's accurate if you are a person that can enunciate. I'm
2: not allowed to mumble like I normally do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't call you a mumbler, but yes, you cannot mumble on Zoom Pro. You have to enunciate and be pretty clear. You know, have a good, no background noise and obvious, you know, things of that nature. But yeah, it's a pretty decent transcriber.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of tools out there. And you can actually also uh, pay for this to be done actually by a person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it costs about a dollar a minute. And you know what? I mean, it's it's a great investment if it's gonna save you time and it's gonna give you a, a good, powerful piece of content to just have on your website.
2: Yeah, I just I was just thinking now. I mean, can you can you strip your audio and then like run it through something that speeds it up like 1.5 times and then give it to them and be like, <laughs> <it a> <laughs> dollars.
1: that's money. Yeah. But yes, you could probably do that because it does allow you to speed up this. You know. <laughs> and then have them that's transcribe. Nice for
2: everyone.
0: yeah <laughs> that's fun maybe 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 that's uh yeah you're, you're clever Ryan. that is
1: a clever way to get around it I like that <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say
2: be, get banned yeah. from them
1: yeah that's true
0: you, you just need to account then for the additional uh half an hour or an hour that you're gonna have to put into it fixing out all of the mistakes that the, the the either the person or the machine uh did in your transcript. Good point. So I think, Grace, what do you think? Takeaways? I, yep. So
1: that brings us to the end of our very lovely session here. And as you know, Ryan, from the last time, we ask you for three takeaways from this session. What do you feel are three things, three actionable items that our listeners can take from this conversation oh. and either take care of and do right now or implement potentially?
2: Sure. So the first thing I can think of is you know, we're, we're talking a lot about well, how do we come up with better topics? So to find out what people are asking, uh, actually asking, uh, I really like using a couple tools. Um, Answer the public is still a great tool for kind of aggregating the ways that people ask questions, and that'll kind of inspire some people to look at how they can approach content a little bit differently. Same so with like the suggestive search from Google. You know, you start typing in something and it starts to autofill it, some of the related searches. It'll kind of give you an idea of, okay, this is what people are asking more. Um, I really still like Avo as well, like just for how they kind of source together a lot of questions. So you'll go through it and you'll pretty much see a lot of things that people are obviously actually, you know, they're asking. And then probably, you know, like, oh, I never really thought about that. And you can either rate it as is or it can maybe inspire some other ideas. So kind of just other places to go out to get an idea of what people are actually asking. Um, as far as you know, optimization of content, um, there's like SEOs have a million takes on different ways you should do it. I tend to think if there's one thing to be observant of with re-optimizing content or underperforming content, it's a lot of times has to do with word count. Um, people were used to writing blogs that were 250 words, 300 words and pages that were very similar. Um, if there's any way that you want to begin to troubleshoot underperforming content, it's typically going to be the first thing you look at is how much content is actually even there. And that's a great way to refresh it too. And then,
0: you know, and what's the, what would be the target word count that people should be aiming
2: for? Yeah. I think that there's probably like two, I mean, the average blog is typically nowadays, right. A lot of people writing between like 750 words and a thousand words. And, you know, a lot of people hear that and be like, well, people's attention spans are, are terrible. How, they're not going to read the whole thing well like honestly if it's engaging and it's like quality content that's not necessarily true you know they they will you know go through the whole content um so uh pages might be as you know a thousand words as well and it just depends on on the market too and how much you're being considerate of seo in some markets i've seen people do pages that are ten thousand words just because like that's what the bar is set at just for being competitive so you know, that's always going to be in mind as well. So it's always going to have some sort of minimum in most situations, but sometimes you have to look, you know, what's relative to your competition and what kind of word count they're putting in. And then, um, really the last thing is I, I find uh, Google search console to be like one of my best friends with really evaluating what my content's doing, because if you go in there and you look under performance and you start looking at your pages, like on a specific like page level, you'll see, all the keywords specifically that your that content's getting impressions for and you'll see relatively how close you are to ranking where you want to be and it'll be just so helpful in seeing what keywords you can add and what additional questions you might even be able to include on that particular page so it's been a game changer for us to looking at that
0: yeah it's basically the only way that you have access to somewhat some search terms right Mm -hmm there's not there's not many ways that you can actually see what search queries users are using first of all to get your rank uh specifically we're not talking about keywords right because keywords there's ways to track that but for specific search queries like the entire phrase mm-hmm. that they search for that's the way to actually get some sort of feedback from Google as to, hey, you see, this is what people are searching, and here are the pages that you are actually uh, showing up and the ones that are getting visited. So not to confuse people with analytics, because analytics doesn't give you that information. You'll be able to see there all of the pages that got visited, the source, how much time they were there, right, your bounce rate, uh, location, demos information, but not actual search terms. and so search terms are now one of the most valuable pieces of information that you can and and the access to them is kind of getting narrowed to the point that who knows <laughs> how much longer are we going to be able to track this kind of information
2: oh that would be a real sad day if google search console well, went into not provided
0: right. <laughs> well but there's you know but what we're seeing on the trend here is like in on, on google ads right the the amount of search queries that are being actually searched specifically has been reduced already, right? To the point that only reoccurring search queries are the ones Mm -hmm. that are being shown on the dashboard. So, you know, who knows? And that's one of the frustrations that a lot of people have with their CRMs and such is that they can track the organic visitor, but they cannot know what was the actual search term of the person. And I tell this to a lot of people as well. I mean, if you're, I mean, one of the most valuable things of running Google Ads is you actually get to see search queries. You actually get to understand and like that data, it's worth money, right? Disregarding of the leads that you're actually going to generate from that, it's going to help you so much for your SEO strategy.
2: I I completely agree. It's it's actually a part of our protocol where if we start working with someone in organic capacity and they have a pay-per-click company, the first thing we ask is, do you mind exporting all your search queries? Because that is the data that you've essentially paid for. And that is going to fast track the keyword research that we have to do by months maybe who knows how long uh yeah valuable
0: totally 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 very valuable information ryan thank you so much for creating the time for having a conversation again with grace and me and sharing so much uh, valuable insights about how to optimize and create content that actually serves a purpose on your website i uh, appreciate it it was really fun as always and we hope to have you again sometime soon excellent excellent stay safe will do Grace, what a great conversation. Honestly, like talking to Ryan, it's so easy, right? We start talking about content marketing and then we could easily end up the conversation talking about uh, other SEO aspects or even pay-per-click or who knows, right? It's always a treat to have him join us for a conversation. So Grace, but let's focus on what we've just discussed, right? And that's content marketing. And the reality is that it's complex and there's so many things that you know, I wouldn't be surprised that by the end of this conversation, some of our listeners may be thinking, "Okay, so where do I start? What's what, what are the you know what are really the three things that I should take away out of this?" So Ryan of course already shared some really good ones, but let's uh, let's take it home with our own grace. What do you say?
1: Yes, definitely. So I think for me, the first thing that I took away from the whole thing, and it's it's partially was one of Ryan's, as a matter of fact, and that is. Use Google Search Console. Use the data at your fingertips. You know what I mean? Right. Because as you very well put, it's the only one of the only places that you can see the full search queries that got them to your page.
0: Grace, we've had in this podcast so many SEO experts, right? And every single one of them agrees on the value that Search Console has. And it's free, it's available to you, and you should definitely be using it. So I totally agree with you. Go and make sure that you have your search console set up. So that's our takeaway number one, Grace. Perfect. Now, what about takeaway number two?
1: So for me, I think takeaway number two would fall in the audit your website. Take yeah. a look at what you currently have, what you need to
0: get to. Just do an audit, you know, check yeah. it out. And so, yeah. yeah absolutely and so tying back to search console now you have data now you have information now you can see which pages get which visitors what keywords are actually getting them to you and then you know complement with your information from analytics right there's a lot of there's a lot of available data to you from the get go and you don't necessarily have to pay for special software to track and monitor for you. If you can, awesome. If you have somebody already doing it for you, just make sure that you're actually acknowledging this information and using it so you can improve your website as a whole. One more, Grace, what would you say?
1: And exactly like you said, improve your website as a whole. I think that maybe that should take us to takeaway number three. Don't look at things in silos. You need to look at the the whole big picture and i think you and i have said this so many times right like don't don't look at anything individually unless it's a benefit but even then it needs to be a part of the full strategy and that includes content marketing that includes looking at the pages that you need to revamp that's everything you need to look at it as a whole not all alone as content marketing doesn't live by itself
0: yeah um i think One of the things that uh, Ryan also mentioned is that more is not more necessarily when it comes to a website. You want to make sure that if you have pages, they're actually getting visits. If your pages are being visited, where are users actually using them as a gateway to initiate a conversation with you? Are they completing calls to actions there? And so if that's happening, great. Then if you have pages that you want and you hope for them to actually drive results, then optimize them so that they can actually fulfill their purpose. Otherwise, kill them, right? Right. Just right. It, right. They're, inspiring they're, content. There's so much uninspiring yeah. content, as Ryan put, right? Yeah. And of course, content market, like actually getting down the task of writing content. It's a conversation of its own, one that we've had here before, but we can always revisit grace. But you know what? We'll leave that for another time, another episode. Another conversation. Who knows? Maybe next week. We'll see. That's right. All right, Grace. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your week. You too, Leo. Thank Bye. you. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week.